So we are in John chapter 5. We have been in the Gospel of John for, I believe, 23 or 24 messages. Um, some of them I haven't preached. We've had get, uh, Joel preached a few, my father-in-law preached a few. Uh, but we're on John chapter 5, halfway through the chapter. And um, last week we talked about the, the healing at the pool of Bethesda, the lame man, and just kind of the story of that and kind of dug into the context a little bit more and, and saw some things that maybe we hadn't seen before about that story. And we're continuing immediately after that, immediately after this happens, um, and we're going to read the scriptures together. Let's read the scriptures. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're in John 5, and let's just, I'm going to read through all the scriptures right now. Um, and then we'll pick it apart piece by piece. It's a lot of verses. It's like 20-something verses so, or 30-something verses. So I'm going to read through it, and, uh, and then we'll just kind of go through. We'll pray and then go through the verse, verse by verse. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 16. Remember, this is right after the healing at the pool of Bethesda. And uh, verse number 16, the, the last book we went over last week, was it says that the man that was healed went and told the Jews, the Pharisees, that Jesus healed them. Kind of ratted them out. It wasn't giving a testimony, it seems. It seems like he got upset when Jesus said, hey, sin no more, or something worse is going to happen to you, which is condemnation and hell. And the man just leaves and goes and tells, you know, actually, I know who it was, now it was Jesus. He's the one that healed me. And verse number 16 is where we pick up. And the scriptures say, verse number, uh, um, verse number 16, and therefore, it says in verse 16, and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making him himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Verse 22. Okay, we'll go to the next verse. Boom. Verse number 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the, the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, and the which with all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Verse 29, And he shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. And that's the 30th verse, and I think we only had up to 29 there, but you can listen along well. Let's pray. Ask God to bless um, the message this morning and his word. This message is a little bit different than the past few weeks. It's a little bit more dense. It's a little bit more, um, I don't want to say teachy because it's not necessarily teaching. I want to preach the word of God, but it's going to be a little bit different. Um, sometimes a message can come across 
as inspirational, and less the scriptures can't inspire us to, to do greater things for the Lord, I understand that. This message is going to be a little bit different. Um, we're going to look at the words of Christ here and what he said to the Pharisees. He's speaking to the Jewish religious leaders that are very upset with him right now. And uh, so let's pray, ask God to bless it, and I, I'd encourage you to just try to focus. Um, I may not get as animated as I normally do, um, because it's going to be a little bit more going verse by verse and kind of telling you what the Lord's saying, and it's going to be a little bit more doctrinal, and doctrine is important. What we believe is so important. Anybody can get up here and just encourage you to keep going, don't give up, and things like that, and the scripture is full of that, that truth. But this morning's message is a little bit more about what we believe, what Jesus, who Jesus said he is. And, and if you don't know this, that is extremely important to know and believe as a Christian. You have to. What, he's gonna, what he says here, if you, if you want to claim to be a Christian, a believer, um, you have to believe what Jesus is saying here. And it's part of it. It's, it's, and, and at this time, it was so unbelievably radical for someone to say what Jesus said to the religious leaders. And we're going to talk about that. So let's pray. Ask God to bless it. We'll jump right in. Lord, we love you. We need you. I need you this morning. You know, Lord, that this kind of message is a little bit out of my comfort zone. Lord, you know that I like to just, man, just shout it out and preach and just, man, passion. And I, and I want to do the same with this. But, Lord, it's a little bit different than, than what um, with the last few weeks. So I ask you to give me grace this morning, Lord, as I preach. Help the message to make sense. Help me to communicate it. Help those sitting in the chairs to, to be able to stay focused. Lord, help me not to be boring and droll. But, God, help the, your word, the power of your word to shine brightly this morning on Coastline Baptist Church. Bless us. Lord, breathe on us this morning and just fill this place through spirit. We love you. We ask for your blessing on this service. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Have you ever had a day when it just seemed like one thing after the other kept going wrong? Is that, anybody have that? Shy, you've had that, haven't you? We've talked about those days, haven't we? I've had days like that. And, and for some people, those kind of days are full of actual serious, tragic things, and, and we know that, and I've had challenging days like that, but sometimes it's not these big things, it's a bunch of little things, like you lose your keys, and then when you finally find them, your car won't start, and then when you finally borrow someone else's car, you realize they don't have any gas, you've got to fill their tank, and then when you finally fill the tank, your car gets declined because you forgot about that one bill that went through, and then when you finally use another credit card, you're like, oh my goodness, now they're telling me to go see the gas station attendant, and I don't want to do that. Who does that? When that thing says, see attendant, I'm like, I'm, not, I'm just trying it again. I'm not going in. Who goes into the gas station to pay for gas, you know, using cash? And it's just one thing after another, and it's just like a punch and a punch, and people use the phrase, when it rains, it pours. We've kind of felt like that as a family, and, and most of our church family knows this, but we're in, in searching for a house right now. Um, our landlord, who's been a great landlord for the last three years, said she wasn't going to be selling her house, but obviously with the market, she decided a few months later after he said that that she was going to sell. And we have to be out of our house by the end of August. And we found out about this in, like, May. So it was very sudden, and we're like, oh! So, like, you, you, then, you, so then you start doing the work. You call lenders, you do this, you call realtors, and, and you kind of take some steps forward, but then take, like, five steps back. And it's just, it's a challenge. And as a church planner with, like, the self-employment stuff, it's all screwy and weird, and it makes things a little bit more challenging. So I know these kind of days when it just seems like one thing after another is not going right, and you're kind of like... Lord, like, I love you and I trust you, but come on, like, help me out here. This is what happens to the Pharisees in this dialogue, this monologue that we see Jesus give here as he's talking to them. 
it's like one punch after the other at these Pharisees. Like it's like one after another, and then there's just like a final blow at the end, and we're going to see it this morning. That's what these guys are going through. These scriptures, John, the, the second half of John chapter 5, and we didn't even read to the end of the chapter. I may read it at the end briefly to kind of finish off the message, but these scriptures are perhaps uh, 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 one, some of the most important passages of scriptures that show who Jesus is. It's so important. It's so clear. When you look at, at the words of Jesus, in, in my Bible, they're, they're red letters. If you have a Bible sit on your lap, it may have these, red, these letters in red, which means these are the words that Jesus said. And they say some astonishing things when you look through it. And again, last week we talked about the healing of the guy of Bethesda, the guy with the shriveled up legs. He was lame for 38 years, and, but he was healed, and Jesus healed him on the Sabbath day. And, and uh, it wasn't an accident that was on the Sabbath day. You know that he, he did it on purpose because he was trying to prove a point here. And the Jews were upset. The Pharisees, these religious, uh, uh, staunch leaders were angry. They were annoyed. Uh, first, because Jesus told the lame man that he gave the ability to walk to, to pick up his mat and walk with it. And they're like, you're not supposed to be carrying your mat. But then beyond that, healing someone was considered work, and Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath day. And they were mad that Jesus did that. He had healed somebody, and healing is work. Now, Jesus does this a bunch through the Gospels. Other accounts of Jesus doing things on the Sabbath day are, are around in, in the book of Matthew, in the, in the Gospel of Mark, and in other parts of Scripture, Jesus gives a different answer. He gives a different answer in, in, in uh, Matthew 12 and in Mark 2. Jesus uh, said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, and kind of tried to turn it around on the Pharisees. He talked about mercy and necessity, like, hey, there's things that you just have to do, and it doesn't matter if it's the Sabbath day or not. God didn't give us the Sabbath as a burden. This day of rest is a burden to, to make life harder, but as a blessing. And Jesus told these guys in other passages that it's lawful to do what is necessary and, and, to do, and to show mercy. Of course you can eat grain on the Sabbath. Of course you can rescue an animal that fell into a pit on the Sabbath. And he mentioned these examples. And of course Jesus can heal the sick and the injured and the disabled. The very nature of the Sabbath is to display God's grace and mercy. Jesus told the Pharisees that in other passages. But that's not Jesus' argument in John chapter 5. See, in John chapter 5, he says something completely different. There was something like it in the Gospel of Mark, which we haven't gone through yet, but the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 28, Jesus told them that the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, that was fighting words back in, in Jesus' time with the religious leaders. They're like, who is this guy? <laughs> who does he think he is? The Sabbath in the Old Testament, thousands of years before, what was God's day, the day of Jehovah, the Lord. It, it was his day. It wasn't our day. And it was, it was a day for doing his work, not our work. And in Mark 2, amazingly, Jesus takes over the Sabbath. And everybody, they're, 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 their minds are blown. They're just they're like, how can anybody say this kind of stuff? The Old Testament calls it the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And Jesus says in that verse in Mark that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, that the Sabbath is his day. So in that claim of him saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, he's claiming his deity. He is saying that he's God. And that's a big deal. But what he does in John 5, in the scriptures that we read through this morning, is even more remarkable. Because he says, he says in verse number 17, My Father worketh hitherto, 
and I work. He says that in verse 17. After they kind of come to him and they're upset with him and want to kill him because he, he did these things in the Sabbath, he says, my father worketh hitherto and I work, which is him saying, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. That's what Jesus is saying to them. And he refers to God, not just as God, Jehovah, but as my father. You've got to realize, like we call our heavenly father, God, the, our father. This wasn't a thing back in the day. Back in the, in the New Testament. It just wasn't. It seemed almost blasphemous for people to call God their father. It was Jehovah God. It was Almighty. It was, Abba, it, it was El Shaddai. It was all these uh, Hebrew names that they gave to God. But Jesus says, my father. It wasn't a common Jewish way of speaking about God. And in fact, in verse 18, you can see that the Jews, the religious leaders, were, were outraged. They were angry about it. They were ticked off. Verse 18, after he said that, it says they sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but he said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. The phrase, my father, that Jesus said to these religious leaders, these Pharisees, these Jews, suggests a special relationship with God, between Jesus and God, an exclusive relationship, not shared by other people. And that angered them because they thought they were they thought they were the big boys. They thought they were the ones that had all the answers, that did everything right, that everything perfect. These Pharisees had all the rules that they followed, and they were the cream of the crop. And now this guy who's working on the Sabbath healing people says that he has his special relationship with God, with God, and they got angry. They understood it this way. Jesus was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. My father, when Jesus says my father, means that Jesus is the son of God. Now the son of a lion is a lion, right? The son of a man is a man. So the son of God is God. But beyond that, beyond just saying my father, he also mentions them in his phrase. He says, God works on the Sabbath, so I can too. God works on the Sabbath, on that day of rest, so I can work too. In Genesis, the scriptures in Genesis tell us that, that God rested after he created the heavens and the earth. You know, he worked for six days. On the seventh day, he rested. We know the scriptures say that. And the Jews knew that. But they always would say that even though it was a day of rest, it wasn't that God was inactive. It wasn't like he wasn't doing anything and sleeping. No, God still sustains the universe, right? We know that. He still, he may have rested from the, the work of creation, those six days of creating things. But that seventh day, he still continued his work of providence and governing and maintaining the universe and Jesus and the Jews agreed that God works on his Sabbath but the Jews could believe that and say well yeah God works on the Sabbath but that doesn't mean that we can <laughs> like just because God does it doesn't mean that we're allowed to as well and they that's what they would have said God works on the Sabbath but that doesn't mean that we can God has many rights that we don't have God has the right to, to give or take human life as he will uh, God could take a man's wealth to use it for his purpose. God, God can do that. God, we, we must worship someone higher than us, right? God doesn't have to do that. So it certainly makes sense to say God works on the Sabbath, but we can't. But what does Jesus say to these guys, to these Jewish leaders? He says, God works on the Sabbath, so I can too. And really, if you can just step back into the New Testament in that conversation with all these religious leaders in their fancy clothes, and then Jesus standing there, probably not in fancy clothes at all, after he just healed and worked on the Sabbath, and he tells them this and says, you know, God works, my father works on the Sabbath, and, and I work too. That's a kind of a bad argument. 
for those standing there, like, like, what is he even talking about? It'd be like if I told my kids, like, kids, it's time for you to go to bed. It's, it's 8.30, it's 9 o'clock, it's whatever. It's time for you to go to bed. So go upstairs and go to bed. They say, well, you're still up, Dad. Like, I don't care. <laughs> go to bed, man. You know, it's, just, it just, it's a bad argument to just say, like, well, he, you know, because, and, and they just didn't get it. And it's a bad argument unless Jesus himself really is God. It's a bad argument unless Jesus has the privilege and the right of deity, of being a God, being God. Unless Jesus has a special relationship to God, his Father, that the usual rules don't apply to him. If those are all true facts, and it's not a bad argument, it's just the truth. And by the way, Jesus is not ignoring the Sabbath law here. He's not, he's not doing that. He's not saying that because God works on the Sabbath that anybody can work on the Sabbath. But that makes his point even stronger. He's not saying that anybody can work on the Sabbath. He's just saying, I can, like that he can, because he's God. And, and again, I understand that church, this message is a little bit more dense this morning, a little bit more thick than maybe, you know, what we've been going over the last few weeks, but, but it's so vitally important for you to know as a Christian. He's saying, Jesus is saying to these religious leaders who thought they knew everything about God, about the scriptures, about the Old Testament law, He's telling them, I can do what God does. I have the rights over the Sabbath that God has. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And that's a big deal. And they were angry about it, the religious leaders. Angry to the point of trying to find ways to literally kill him. They tried to kill him for making himself God. But truth be told, that one phrase he said about working and I work as my father does, it's, they hadn't seen anything yet because it was about to get a whole lot worse for these guys. Like I said, it's one blow after another at these religious leaders who thought that they had all the answers. What else does Jesus say? Okay, when they get angry and mad and want to kill them, and who knows how they reacted to that statement. I, you know, back in the day, they would, they would rent their clothes and they would, they would just get, and you just, the scene must have been crazy. Jesus there with these religious leaders and probably spectators around as Jesus is saying these things. And it was just like, almost like those high school, like, fight, 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 fight in the hallway. It was like a big, I would have no doubt that people kind of began to cry out, what's going to happen? Who is this guy? What's going on? What does he say? Does he pull back from his earlier statement when they get angry? Like, wait a minute, guys. Like, like sorry, you misunderstood me. I didn't really mean to suggest that I was equal with God. I, I just was saying I was an obedient servant of God. No, that's not what he says. He, he does in verse 19, and I think we can read it. I'll pull it up here so you can see it again. Verse 19, right here. What does he say to them? He says, verily, he humbly says to them, verily, verily, which means truly, truly. Like he, it's almost like starting off a sentence by saying, like, what I'm about to say is as true as I can be. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Now, him saying, starting that sentence off, may have kind of disarmed his critics for a moment by saying, like, I can't do anything by myself, things like that. And it was in a very important statement because Jesus was a humble person. We know that. Jesus exemplified humility. He is the picture of perfect humility. He is the picture and the example to us Christians followers of Jesus Christ, of what it is to be a humble, obedient servant of God. He came to earth to do the will of another. That's what he said. 
His father, he didn't seek comfort or wealth or fame. He didn't seek any of those things. He sought only to do the will of the father. He was a humble God-man. That's who he was. But there's more in this verse. And it's the real kicker. When he says the son can do nothing by himself, he can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. So he is like, he is proving and saying that he is equal, that whatever God does, he does. Again, you have to think, church. At this time, we don't have, we may have pharisaical people around us, people that think they're more spiritual and religious. It's, it's all throughout churches all over the world. But at this time, when Jesus was alive, these Pharisees, man, they didn't play around. They were judgmental jerks that claimed spirituality. And on the outside, they looked great, but on the inside, man, they were just, they were far from God. And, and just imagine him saying, Jesus saying to them, what the Father does, I do, and what I do, the Father does. And we kind of, we kind of go hand in hand. Everything God does, I do. God works on the Sabbath, so I can too. Whatever God does, I do. That's a big statement for him to say to these guys. Huge, like big stuff. So what are some things that God does that only God can do? God has an eternal plan for human history. No one else really can do that and know that. And that plan, who's at the center of that plan, of God's plan for the world? Christ, Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ. Before any of us were born, before the universe was, was even created, God's plan was already in the works of rescue. And we go back to Adam and Eve, and we go back to all throughout the scriptures and the Old Testament and the stories of the Bible, how it all points that thin, that thin crimson line that connects every Bible story in the center of it. And the picture of it is Jesus Christ rescuing the world by his death and resurrection. It's beautiful. But only God can do that. Only God is a creator of heaven and earth. But Christ is also the creator of all things. John 1, we, we, we read it when we started this series off. John 1, it says, without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus was there at creation. Jesus was there to create the world with God, his Father. Only God is in absolute control of human history, uh, governing and maintaining creation. Uh, Romans 11 says, for of him and through him and unto him are all things. Talk about Jesus. In Hebrews 1, it says, But Jesus, too, is the Lord of providence, upholding all things by his powerful word. Talking about Jesus. So all these things that only God can do, Jesus is right there as well. can do this because Jesus is God. Only God can do wondrous works, it says in Psalm 72. But the Gospel of John itself, we've been going through the last 25 messages. What are we always pointed back to? Jesus being God, John doing his best, the author John doing his best to show like, listen, he is God, he is who he says he, 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 is, who he, says he is, and all these stories that I'm telling you, all these factual occurrences, they all point to the fact that he is God, he is who he said he is, and even says, remember the, the, end, of the, the end of the book, we haven't got there yet, but we said at the beginning, says, and there was a bunch more that we haven't even written about. Greater works than these that, that, that we've seen, that we don't even have the pages to write. John sets all these signs, all these miracles, so that the people reading it might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. It says at the end, John chapter 20, he says that. And as we've seen in today's passage already, Jesus had just finished healing a guy that had been lame for 38 years. That's a miracle. So in verse 20, what does he say? He says, for the Father loveth the Son, 
and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel, that ye may be amazed. Jesus can do anything God does. But, but more than that, it's, he says, yes, to your amazement, he's, I'm going to show you even greater things than these. And what could be greater than that? Verse 21, what does Jesus say to these religious leaders again? For as the Father raises up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Now in the Old Testament, that all these religious leaders knew, they knew the Old Testament books and laws, raising people back to life that were dead was a work of God. Second Kings chapter 5, Naaman, the Syrian general. This is true, we haven't, we haven't, you may not know, but there was a Syrian, this general back in the Old Testament. He went to the king of Israel to be healed of his leprosy, of his sickness. And the king was not in the healing business. The king said to this general back in the Old Testament, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? And unlike that king, Jesus says, I am God. I can kill and bring back to life. Jesus has that power. And when Jesus said he would show greater things than his miracles... This is surely one of them, bringing the dead back to life. That was just unheard of. Raising the dead. He raised his friend Lazarus from the grave, who'd been buried four days. That's later on in the book. That miracle of bringing, bringing life to a dead person. Verse 22, what does he say? For the Father judgeth, for the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Jesus is the judge of all the earth. Just imagine that. Jesus is telling these guys that he, that he, all judgment is given to him. And he's telling these religious leaders, this poor peasant carpenter's son is telling these religious leaders, like, all judgment is given to me from the Father. You know that must have, another punch in the gut to these Pharisees, to these religious leaders who thought they were the ones, they were God's chosen people to judge everybody around them, which they had been doing. Jesus, the judge of all the earth. Just imagine it, little, little baby Jesus in the manger. Judge of all the earth. Little, little boy Jesus in the carpenter shop working with his dad as a little boy. Judge of all the earth. Jesus, the poor servant of God who had no place to lay his head, he says. Judge of all the earth. Jesus dying on that awful cross. Judge of all the earth. And on the last day, when we all will stand before Jesus one day, according to the scriptures, before the one who is despised, rejected of men, the judge of all the earth. That's who Jesus was. That's who he's saying he is. When you think about it, verse 23, the next verse, is even more amazing. As he kind of brings it all to a conclusion from what he's already said in verse 23, what does he say? In verse 23, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Get the pattern here. Jesus does everything God does. That's what he's trying to explain to these guys. Jesus does everything God does. Creation, providence, miracle, judgment, salvation. Then he says that. All that honor the Son as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son, he's talking about himself, does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus says that he doesn't just do the works of God. But Jesus is telling these guys that he also deserves the worship of God. The honor that belongs to God alone. He's claiming that equality with God. And think again. Okay, the Old Testament. You know what the Old Testament is so much about? A God who is righteously jealous. The children of Israel would always worship 
idols and false gods and statues, even though they knew that God had delivered them. And God would get upset, rightfully so. And he would try to teach his people again, like, hey, I'm the one that delivered you. I'm the one that rescued you. I deserve your worship. You need to be worshiping me. I gave you life. He jealously guarded the worship of Israel. He didn't allow them in the Ten Commandments. No other gods before me. No graven images. That's in the Ten Commandments. God demanded, commanded worship of him because he deserved it. And then Jesus comes and says, worship me. As you honor God, honor me. That's a big deal. Another punch in the gut for these Pharisees. Jesus is the man who says, worship me. And if he was not God, then the Jewish Pharisees were right to try to kill him. Because that's blasphemy. He deserved to die. If he, he, that'd be, that, that's straight and, and blasphemy in this time. When you blaspheme God, the penalty was death. So if Jesus wasn't God and was telling everybody to worship him, then that's a big deal. That's grounds for serious, severe punishment. But if he was God, if he was right to say, worship me, then he was God. He wasn't just a God or a high angel or a, a semi-divine kind of being. He was God. So he could say that to them. We talk about Jesus so much, church, and we have to remind ourselves that it's not just like the stories of Jesus and we talk about like resting in Christ and resting in Jesus. Jesus is God. You have to believe that if you're a Christian. We need to present this message that Jesus is God. Because there's a lot of religions out there that don't believe this. That don't believe that Jesus is God. That believe that Jesus, you know, was a good man, a good teacher, a rabbi. And that we can learn from his life. That maybe even he raised from the dead, but that he wasn't God. That is anti-Bible. That is anti-Scripture. Jesus is God. We must believe that. Because if Jesus wasn't God, then his death on the cross and resurrection don't really mean that much. Listen, this is, this is what the Bible says. And like I've said in the past, people have, have died for this faith. Have died for this faith that Jesus is God. We, can't, we have to take it seriously. This is important stuff. Jesus said, worship me. Hey, those who believe that he was just a human teacher, or just some good guy, some great man. Listen, they need to know Jesus said, worship me. If he's not God, then he's not a good human teacher because that's just crazy. That's insane. That's lunatic. That's deluded. That's egomaniacal. He's like an egomaniac if he says, worship me. But he's not just a great human teacher. He is God. We can trust his words. He does everything God does. He deserves the worship of God. Why? Because he is God. Now, what does that mean for us, church, as we kind of bring this all to a close? Okay? It means, and hear this, I'm going to read it so I don't mess it up because I want you to hear this. Our relationship with Jesus, as our relationship with God, is the most important relationship in our lives. Okay, I'm going to say it again. Our relationship, because Jesus is God, he is who he says he is, our relationship with Jesus, as our relationship with God, is the most important relationship in our lives. It's a matter of life and death. Our eternal life depends, amen, depends upon Jesus. Verse 24, what does he say? Verily, verily, truly, truly, man, what I'm about to say is true. I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death 
unto life. This sums the gospel up in that verse, in verse number 24. Kind of like John 3.16 does, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a beautiful evangelistic uh, verse that we can see. It's in, 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 we know how important it is because he begins it with verily, verily, truly, truly. We learn that we find out about salvation from listening to the words of Jesus. And listen, forget the idea, church, that you can find fellowship with God just kind of on your own. That you can find that just kind of just floating around life. No, no, no. Listen, forget the idea that you have the truth just somewhere deep down inside you already and, and that you can find it in human religion or philosophy or in nature. God is so much bigger than that. He just is. God reveals himself everywhere. We know that the scriptures say that. But if you want to know how to get eternal life, there's only one thing to do, and that is to listen to the word of Jesus. Jesus is God. And when Jesus speaks, God speaks. Secondly, though, we learn that eternal life doesn't just come from hearing the words of Christ, but believing it. Believing the Father. Believing the one who speaks in Jesus. The Father's word says that apart from Christ, apart from Jesus, we are lost, guilty, hopeless sinners. Romans 3, all have sinned. Come short of the glory of God. Romans 6, the wages of sin, the payment for sin, the punishment for sin is death. And God says that Christ came to die the death that we deserved. Mark 10, 45, it says that Jesus came to give his life. Jesus said he came to give his life a ransom for many. He died for the sins of the whole world, the scriptures say. And God says that Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. And if we believe him, if we believe that, we have eternal life. It's simple, church. It's as simple as saying, God, I believe that what you say is true. What you say about Jesus, what you say about me. It's believing. It's faith. And it says, notice that the one who believes has eternal life. It doesn't say that we will, but that when you trust Christ, when you, we say the, the phrase, get to, when we get saved, when you accept Christ as your personal Savior, when you believe, when you have placed your faith in Christ, it's not, it doesn't mean that like, if I can just make it to the end of my life, then I'll, no, no, it means right now you're saved. Right now you're secure in Jesus Christ. And nothing can take that away. Wouldn't it be awful if every time we sinned or messed up that our salvation was taken away from us? Oh, thank God that he says that we're sealed, we're secure, we're in the Father's hand. We have eternal life, and that's a wonderful truth. Listen, that should be enough to give us hope in a sometimes hopeless world and in hopeless situations, that we have a Savior who never lets go. He never lets go of you and me. That's a truth to know. We don't have to be on edge, wondering whether we're going to make it to the end. No, no, if you trust him, if you believe God, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are saved already right now. And you can be sure of that because God said that. We know that we are secure for the future. Hallelujah for that. For eternity because of what has already happened. Yes, the decisive moment has already taken place. He says, you've been passed from death unto life. Okay, there's no condemnation. Because Jesus died for us. He took the punishment for us. We're saved. We're secure. Once we believe God, we're saved forever. The matter is settled for time, for eternity in church. That's a wonderful thing to know. And Jesus elaborates in the next few verses. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, in verse 25, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Now, who are the dead here? He's not talking about the second coming, by the way. When He's talking about those who are spiritually dead. He's talking about those who have already decided to believe what he's saying, that have already placed their faith in him as he's standing right there, that he was God. 
okay? In Ezekiel 37, God spoke of Israel, the people that we're talking about, the Jewish people. He talked of his people as dead men's dry bones. But God raised up those bones by his life-giving word. We know that from the scriptures. And that is what he still, do, what he still does. That's what he did in my life. The words of Christ, the scriptures, the truth of the gospel of Christ has changed my life and passed me from death unto life and took this dead man, this guy who was dead in his sin and dead in addiction and dead in depression and discouragement and he has rescued me through his words. That's the Jesus that we have and that's what he's done in your life. He gives life. His words give life. Jesus said in verse 26, what does he say? For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. There is life in Jesus Christ. The only eternal life available to us is in Jesus. Nowhere else. You can't find eternal life anywhere else. So when we hear and believe Jesus' words... We, we, we rise from the dead, spiritually speaking. We have new, newness of life. When we got baptized, we did the baptism. Those shirts had raised to life. And that symbol of going under the water in the grave with Christ and coming up to new life. Listen, God does miracles in our hearts when we believe. In verse 28 and 29, as we finish up, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. And shall come forth they that have done good, unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Jesus isn't repeating himself here, by the way. This is a different event. He's not talking about what he's talking about in verse you know, 25 and 26. No, he's talking about the future. He's talking about uh, uh, um, a similar pattern that one day Christ will return, as the scriptures say. And that's not a radical belief. That's just what the scriptures say, that Jesus is coming back, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's what the scriptures say. These are beautiful, wonderful things to believe as a Christian. He's going to come back and again rescue his people. In the last few verses, and we won't read through all of them, but I want to get through chapter 5. I'm just going to kind of skim it for you. After he says all this to these Pharisees, they're obviously angry, mad, upset. So what does Jesus do after that? Back in the Jewish times, to validate truth, you had to have at least three witnesses. It couldn't just be your word. You had to have three different witnesses, and what Jesus does in verses 31 through 47 is he gives those witnesses. He says, it's not just my word. Don't just take my word for it. Remember John the Baptist? We talked about him in the first few uh, uh, chapters. Jesus tells these guys, you listen to John the Baptist. You, everybody flocked to him. Everybody believed him. And what did he say? He said that I am the son of God who was God. And at his baptism, we see that the spirit of God, the voice of God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus begins to tell these Pharisees, the witnesses. He says, my miracles are witness of me. My works, my marvelous works, he says, uh, uh, in verse number uh, 30, 35 and 36. He talks about John the Baptist, talks about his work, talks about his father. And then what he does at the end of all this, and this is the, the last straw for these Pharisees, as he says in verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? You have to realize, church, and you may not know this, but the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day, all they cared about was the Old Testament laws, all those laws that had been written thousands of years before, all the different things they were supposed to be doing. And who wrote those laws in the Old Testament? Moses wrote those laws by the power of God in him. 
So they loved Moses. Moses was their guy. They wanted to do everything that Moses said from the Old Testament. So then Jesus comes in and says, hey, I don't have to accuse you because you know, you know who accused you? Moses accuses you. He says, you, you, you think that Moses would approve of you guys? You're crazy. Because he wrote of me. And Moses, we know in the Old Testament, they obviously points to us, a coming Messiah, a coming Savior. And he, Jesus says, he wrote about me, but you don't believe his words. Why should you believe mine? Could you just imagine how angry these guys got? Furious. To the point of like, people had to hold them back. And that was the final blow for these Pharisees. Jesus said, I'm God, and I'm not going to back down from that. You either believe it or you don't. In church, we're faced with that as well. Jesus is God, and we have to make a choice whether we're going to believe that or not. Jesus does everything that God does. We're going to look back at what we've gone through all the, we've gone through a lot today, church. And I appreciate your patience. Jesus does everything that God does. So stand in awe of that. Jesus demands the very worship of God himself. So we should praise him. Jesus is the only way of salvation. So let us hear that and believe it if you haven't already. Jesus is the judge of all the earth. So let us rejoice that in him we have passed from death unto life and that we know that we're saved. And church, if you, don't, if you don't trust and believe this wonderful Savior, God in the flesh, you, you must know that condemnation does come for those who choose to reject Christ in a place called hell. You know, your, your works will never be good enough to meet that standard, but Christ did the work for us. So turn to him, trust in him, and you can be sure of eternal life because You'll already have it once you believe, and it can't be taken away. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I know it was a lot this morning, church. I know it was a lot, a lot of doctrine, a lot of, of almost just the words of Christ and what he was saying, what he was saying to those religious leaders. But I ask you, please, and I encourage you, search your heart this morning. The truth is Jesus is God. And because Jesus is God... You don't have to worry about tomorrow. I want to apply this to your life this morning. First of all, if you're here and you're not saved and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, listen, you can do that today. You can place your faith in Jesus Christ. He is God. He can save you. He wants to save you. You don't have to spend eternity in hell. You can spend eternity in heaven with God if you believe what he said. And beyond that beautiful privilege of eternity in heaven, you place your faith in Christ, he moves into your heart, you are filled with the Spirit of God, and he will guide you into all truth. And he says, by the power of God, it says in, in the book of 1 Peter, that you are given power for all things pertaining to life and godliness. Everything you need to make it in this tough and challenging life, you can have in Jesus Christ. For the good, for the bad, for the ugly, for everything in your life, Jesus rescues. And Jesus is enough for pain, for heartache, for sickness, for worry, for anxiety. Fill in the blank, Jesus is enough. He's God. He deserves your worship, he deserves mine. 